As an American, there is no greater privilege and responsibility than choosing who will represent you and your family to determine the course of history, your lives, the economy, your health, your safety. On November 3rd, please choose to vote. To vote early or if you need an absentee or mail-in ballot, please visit vote.org. Your future self thanks you. This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business. Hi, I'm Simeon Siegel. I'm a managing director and senior analyst at BMO Capital Markets. What I love about retail is it always changes. It's what we all know within our personal and professional life. And it's a story that though begins at the beginning of time, we have yet to know what the ending will look like and we probably never will, but it's gonna be a fun journey as we get there. From New York City, you're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm Mark Rako, one of your hosts, and uh, the the other but far more important host, Pubbin Ball. Hey, Pubbin. Wow, you are giving me just compliments today, dude, just showering me with love. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, I'm going to build you up and tear you down. That's a, <laughs> not really, but <laughs> anyway, you know, we don't know what the Wheel of Grid Destiny will do at the end of the show, so yeah, good point. it may come back to haunt you. I don't know. Uh, anyway, uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, also with us, of course, is uh, Simeon. Welcome to the show, sir. Glad to have you here. And by the way, because we are looking at each other through the magic of video right now, although the listener can't tell, uh, Simeon looking way sharper than Pavan and I are right also now. Also has way better equipment on the video side, huh? You've uh, done this once or twice, huh, Simeon? You know, we uh, we strive. You you learn from your mistakes. <laughs> I'm aiming. I'm aiming for that room raider. <laughs> that's, that's right. All right. Well, welcome to the show, sir. Um, I would like to start out with this question and turn it over to Pubbin a little bit here. Uh, what is catching your attention right now most? As you kind of check your your wandering compass that gets magnetized to something and and that that's where it's it's pointed at where's it pointed at right now other than this you know riveting conversation um i think that right now the beauty of these compasses are that they spin round and round and round so what we're doing right now or what what my team and i have been focusing on is the silver linings of covid and i'm not going to call them the beauty of covid but the silver linings of covid are that we're all forced to take a break Right? Whether it's personal, whether it's in your own personal life, your professional life, generally speaking, humanity goes forward. Generally speaking, humanity focuses on growth. Well, COVID stopped humanity. It's one of the first pandemics that impacts us all. And what that meant was it also gave everyone a second to pause. It gave everyone a second to breathe. And it gave you a time to reflect on, are you making the right decisions? I'm not trying to get philosophical and meta here. I'm talking about companies. Because companies, retail in the last 50 years and before, but in the last 50 years, are focused on growth for growth's sake. Get bigger or go home. And that didn't work. It worked until today. But what we found out was that the bigger you get, you get to a point where the incremental sale is a detrimental sale and you erode your brand. Well, no public investor is going to let you come out and say, I'm going to get smaller, guys. Here we go but COVID did it for you. So what we've been doing a lot of work on now is figuring out how can companies use this as an opportunity to shrink their revenues, to grow their profits? How can they get, how can they get stronger as smaller? Yeah. I mean, look, I, <laughs> there's so much at play when, when things stop, right? You take a, a, a moment to pause and reflect on what things really matter in your life. And, and as we mentioned that, you know, we've already seen, we've talked about it a lot in, in terms of how folks are valuing their purchases and voting with their dollars in terms of they want to align with companies that share specific values. The whole rollout of B corporations in general has been significant. Uh, the mindful consumer said, what, whatever it may be, I had a conversation not terribly long ago about talking through like, okay, so the incremental change or detriment to your brand, if you get too big, where do you see, I guess, companies then going? Do you see them diversifying and in, in investing down into smaller brands that then 
also have that growth trajectory that also has to stop and then reinvest into smaller brands? Like what, what happens then? So I need to answer that question with another question. And this doesn't get a lot of favorable responses when I say it, but Bama, do you really think people vote with their wallets? Nah, I mean, look, yeah, yes and no. I think that there is a growing and significant subsect of people that do. Um, uh, but to and I, and I can anticipate where the question's going uh, when when you see uh, you know the the value of Amazon going uh, you know eighty billion dollars more over the last three months and whatever you want to say to all that stuff. But yeah, I, I do think that there is at least the want is there. So what happens then? Well, so I just got off the phone with with a startup who was talking about the idea of focusing on sustainability as their pitch. And sustainability is so critical, right? We all want to live in this world and it's growing and that's a good thing. That's objectively a good thing. But what I, the, the interesting interplay is when you get a deck that's just focused on sustainability and misses the fact that you need to sell that product. It's this duality here where I think people need to, to kind of figure out who are you talking to and why? And, and the reason I brought that question up was I reflect back on when Nike first, when, when the Kaepernick conversation first started and you had people burning shoes. And what I always wondered was a month later, when those people who burned their shoes wanted to go play ball, did they not just go and buy another pair of kicks? Right. Yeah. Like the swoosh keeps growing. So it's this interesting thing where I deal, uh, we, I think about it all the time because I think as a, as a human, you want to believe people vote with their wallets. And it's clear we're seeing the emergence of the activist customer as well. But then again, the largest brands, the ones that we're talking about can maybe take a breath, are generally not viewed as the, the loudest brands from a sustainability perspective. They just sell the most stuff. Yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot of chatter about circular economies and trying to get to that place of zero impact or negative impact when you come to a company like Microsoft. I mean, do you see that? Like, what companies do you see actually making those strides in an effective and, pr and productive way when it comes to your world, which is the financials? And why And why those companies, too? Yeah, so the circular economy is, is a great thing to watch. And I think we're going to see constant evolutions of what that means. So within retail in general, we all know, I mean, the, the water usage is one of the biggest issues, right? You think about sustainability and you don't even know what goes into a pair of denim. Um, now, considering all Zoom classes, we're all T-shirts and nothing on the bottom. Maybe the, the denim will, uh, that water supply will come back up. So other silver linings. <laughs> yeah. Well, Simeon, where were you the first time you realized that a white t-shirt takes 300 gallons of water to produce? <laughs> <laughs> On this very show. <laughs> there, well, there you are, you know? So, so I think that what we'll find is there's going to be this constant evolution and the word recycling is going to become outdated and it's going to be upcycling and downcycling and reverse cycling and figuring out what does it actually mean to be circular? And it's the same thing that retail was. I don't know that anyone started out in retail saying, let me figure out how to destroy the environment while improving the economy. It just happened. So now at least we have that as a question mark. And you have a lot of the tech conversations that, that you and I have spoken about where you figure out how do we adopt other people's implementations? How do we adopt this approach of let's do good and let's do well at the same time? I don't know if those two are two different things, but it sounded good. But at the end of the day, I think we're going to see more companies that are not structurally sustainable, figure out how to embed that in their story. You know, uh, two years ago, I was fortunate enough to be invited by the John Hardy brand, not to be confused with the Ed Hardy brand, the John Hardy <laughs> brand jewelry, uh, which is based out in Bali and uh, went out to their manufacturing facility, their, their main HQ and showroom. And they were uh, planting their one millionth uh, bamboo tree. And, uh, you know, when you, when you look at uh, the circular economy, I, I'm really fascinated always with, about companies that inherently always have been there and then also try to make negative impact with the, with the, you know, uh, with, with growth of the environment and, and the ecosystem around them. Where, where are you back to, I guess, um, Mark's original question though, where are you most kind of curious about, uh, today in the retail sector as a whole? So kind of expanding outside of fashion. even. Yeah. So the way that I think is so interesting is, Another thing, not, not to stick on the pandemic, but it's obviously the, uh, <laughs> the forefront of all of our minds. I think the other thing that the pandemic did was it leveled the playing field. It brought everyone to equal footing. And what I mean by that is if you closed your store and had zero revenues at the same time that you got to decide for better or worse, do you pay your employees? Do you pay your suppliers? Do you pay your rent? You had zero sales and zero expenses. Well, what does that sound like? It sounds like a startup. 
So you got the most established, largest companies in the world on the exact same playing field as startups. It gave everyone this opportunity to think about what does it mean to pivot? What does it mean? What should we do? So I think I'm equally, I'm looking at these, uh, on the one hand, we talked about the large brands taking advantage of figuring out for the first time in recent retail history, they have to decide what stores to open, not what stores to close. That's fascinating. We've talked about that for hours. But by the other token, if you're on equal footing, let's look at the other side. The startups get to decide what they want to be. And I think that if you asked me, because we're, we're all best friends already, if you said, hey, Simeon, what, what's the, what have you gotten wrong? Right? What, what are your worst ideas? I hypothesized at the beginning of this crisis that this was the end of whatever digitally native version 0.0 were out. And it wasn't. Right? Those were the companies that were most nimble. Those were the companies that were most able to project a strong message. And whether it's coincidental that they happen to be in the right categories, right, activewear, athleisure, et cetera, or, or retail tech, the reality was they resonated and they adapted and they're pushing forward. So when I think about what's most interesting about this, it's this barbell of the fact that I've got companies that are multi, multi-billion dollars that are not making money that all of a sudden can reevaluate how to make money. But I also have companies that are emergent, that are nascent, that are growing and don't have the baggage and can actually decide where to go from here. How much of your time is spent to keeping your pulse on what's next versus what's already in the publicly traded sphere? If I'm doing my job right, it's the same conversation because it's a circular okay, economy yeah. and it's a circular, right? Time time can be circular too. We're getting really meta here. Who, who knew where we were going? No, I love that. <laughs> but I think that's what it is, right? Because the definition of COVID insanity or retail insanity is believing that you'll keep making the same decisions and nothing's going to change, right? I'm sure Mark Twain said that or something. No, nothing. I mean, I was going to say, like, I, talk, I talked to a gentleman, uh, Nicholas Stone. He's the founder, CEO of Bluestone Lane Coffee. And, um, you know, within 24 or 48 hours of quarantine affecting um, 90 or 95% of his locations, which I think he had about 55 cafes, it was the fastest growing coffee shop or uh, luxury coffee shop in America. And uh, he went fully, vo- fully virtual, uh, contactless everything, uh, pick up uh, outside pickup windows and opened up, you know, and had a really interesting transition into reopening. And I mean, do you are you 55 locations? This isn't exactly a startup, but I loved your comment about that. It took every brand to act or be on the level playing field of just kind of scratching and clawing and uh, having to make those decisions to to keep their employees, not keep them furlough, don't furlough, just do cost cuts. Who knows? Um, not not decisions that I, I feel great that I only have to comment on them and 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 just you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, shed my uh, my biases on them. However, I didn't have to make those decisions. It's unfair, right? I, I talk about this all the time. It's like all these things that, that the three of us or that anyone strategizing opine on, they're always much easier to type or speak than act upon. It does give us objectivity, hopefully, right? Hopefully we can say without bias, without the, uh, the emotion, and, and, and the emotion should be involved. These are very emotional decisions. But it does let you see to your question, what has worked in the past? What has not worked in the past? But it's not so that we can give a report card. It's so that we can then implement for the future. So since so much of this discussion is has the context of the pandemic, because it's been a triggering event for change that probably would have eventually happened in some way or form at different paces for different brands that survived without that change or whatever it may be. But, but here we are. So my question jumping off of what you just said, Simeon is how much do you think? I I don't think that most consumers care what a brand did to survive. They don't care about the furloughs and all that stuff, except people that may be more politically active about the right thing to do or whatever. Um, what they care about is, is how much does a brand care about me and give me the things that I want and that I feel I need in this moment. So I'm like, does it make me sweat? Well, well, by the way, to your point, I think, and that's exactly my point where I was pushing earlier, where without opining from a human level, do people actually vote with their wallets? And I think they vote with what makes them better. I think products are supposed to do something for you, whether that's make you jump higher because you believe that Jordans will do that, whether that's make you uh, athletic is obviously the easy category, but whether it, how does it make you feel, right? If it's a lifestyle category, 
And ultimately, if you believe if the marketing tells you that story in the most effective way, then ultimately you, you will still purchase that product. That's what I believe. And that gets to another huge point about what I love about retail. Nike obviously is the most successful seller of units in the history of time and in almost any category that's probably other than Apple, right? But more than being a phenomenal successful seller of products, they are probably one of the best storytellers in the history of time. They're one of the best marketers in the history of time. Because at the end of the day, yes, what we wear has to be comfortable, but it also has to make you feel a certain way. And that storytelling is absolutely key. So so to that point, the, the uh, I'm, I'm wondering your thoughts, Simeon, on how brands may have to be thinking differently right now than they have in the past in terms of this. So a company may say, yeah, we'll get to the sustainability thing or the circular economy thing, or we're working on it, or we've done this much on it. So we're in it. It's part of our story. But in terms of the shareholders right now, I have responsibility to the shareholders. Yeah, a, a, lot lot of to- di- a lot of toe, toe dipping, right, toe Mark? Dipping. A lot of toe dipping well, happening. Well, well, certainly there's been toe yeah. dipping before. No one wants to be first. But- my, my my question well yeah. this is I'm so glad you said that because my question is how much how well, much first, how much last. are you getting a sense can you give <laughs> a read on what you're seeing about companies saying the, we can't toe dip anymore the, the, this is a survival moment and we have to go all in on things because that is what is going to keep us anyone caring about us right now and get us through to the next level. So how are you thinking about what are you seeing in terms of companies finally pushing the button on something and, and diving in on major initiatives? I think there is no company out there, Nike included, that's going to willy nilly. First time I've ever said that tweet something because they want, because they're they're totally comfortable toe dipping, right? They're just going to jump in and say, "This is right, I'm saying it," or "This is wrong, I'm calling it out." Even Nike's most aggressive and loudest marketing campaigns are obviously vetted tremendously and tested. So I don't know that any of these companies that plan on being around can afford to simply say, "Now is the time to act." Don't think. I think that they obviously have to take risks. I think that retail is a game of risks. And depending on what category and you need to classify where you want your risks to lead you. But that I think is the question. And, and to Pam's point, the, if you're not first, you're last. My kids tell me that, that second is the best, right? I, I think it's better to be, it, there's an element here where you wanna be early, but the question is, do you have to lead? And And there's an element here where I do we think if, if let's say let's say it wasn't Nike that embraced cap at the beginning would that company if a different company embraced cap at the very beginning do we think that they would have been able to steal the share right if Nike came out three weeks later and put out the marketing campaign who would have won there's an element there it's not necessarily fair but I think it's worth thinking about and the 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 benefits versus the pros and cons of just jumping right in listen do what's right but at the end of the day you want to think about what you're what you're doing as well I think that folks have a very uh, short memory, like uh, like goldfish these days. Especially when you uh, when you watch the opening week of NFL this past weekend, and you have Roger Goodell making statements about how they 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 want to support conversation, this and that. It, it's complete bullshit. However, um, you know the anyone, uh, yeah, the, the, yeah, you can say whatever the fuck you fuck, want. Yeah. But I'll say that um, you know what I watched was egregious. I think that they you know showing. Um, you know, images of Cap kneeling uh, during uh, the the intro on uh, I think it was Alicia Keys's uh, performance on Thursday. Having those shots was uh, completely uh, in- disingenuous. And uh, but to I get I think to to your point is that I don't think that anyone's going to remember that they were not even not first, but um, were completely. Uh, a polar opposite view on this situation just months ago. Yeah. And I I think it's important to whether right or wrong. I think the humanity and the, the desire to sell shoes and shirts ultimately diverge when in a, in a management boardroom. And, and it's not, it's not saying whether it's right or wrong. It's just at the end of the day, people will buy what they want to buy. People will buy what they're told makes them feel better. Do you think that, um, 
activism or the the um, the pressures of activism uh, and how it's uh, you know we're seeing a shift in consumer sentiment and the brands that people are aligning with uh, due to Black Lives Matter and, and the other ongoing protests that we're experiencing here in the country and, and globally. But do you see that as a sustained strategy that brands need to adopt to? Do they need to take a stance on, on social I issues? think it's like what you just said. I think that people have short memories. I think that the world is at a, is at a place where doing right can be doing good. And, and that's, that's great. And internalizing that and figuring out how to make that work is really important. And, and it's a good thing that the world is doing that. At the end of the day, if the question, if you're posing a question for shareholders, if you're posing a question for revenues, it's a different conversation, right? Ultimately, there are people don't, opening up their wallets on every side of a conversation. I'm not saying both sides. I'm saying on every right. side because every argument is going to have multi, right. no, multi um, areas of focus. So I think that to the point before we get to distill this and simply look from the uh, the outside in and say, yeah, do this or do that. There's so many new, the nuance involved in here. And that's what makes this special as well. The nuance involved is just manifold, right? It's, it's, in, it's infinite. So within that boardroom, within that marketing room, within that, you have all these different conflicting factors. And what are they trying to get you to do, right? They're trying to change the world by getting you to pay $75 or $50 for a pair of sneakers, Think about that for a second, right? It changes how you approach this. And ultimately, what your driving force is needs to be dictated by the internal view of management. And I think that's where public companies, private companies, big companies, small companies, like there is a delta there. There's a difference. So check this out. For more than 15 years and more than 160,000 customers, the number one SMS marketing software, industry leader, easy texting has set the standard for business texting platforms. So it's a cloud-based self-service SaaS platform, and it's a top 20 best product for marketers and it allows businesses of all sizes to reach and engage their mobile audiences. They've sent 5 billion messages to their customers. Yes, but what can really move the needle for you is this. Texting delivers 600% more engagement than email. Now, what could you do with 600% more engagement? Look, 90% of people read new messages within 30 minutes, right? And text messages, 134% more likely to be read than emails. So when an online boutique wanted to send their existing customers coupons and information about upcoming sales, they wanted an easy-to-use text marketing platform, and they used easy texting. 89% of customers prefer messaging to communicate with businesses. 77% of consumers have a more positive impression of companies that text. So when a clothing store with a pop-up shop wanted to increase store traffic as well as tell past customers about new arrivals, they used easy texting. In-store traffic increased within just a few hours of their first text. They had positive communications with customers and they saved time. So you come to fashion as your business for valuable business insights and strategy, right? This one is a game changer. Texting allows you to facilitate scheduling, enable staffing, promote products and services and notify customers, and the big kahuna provide an excellent customer experience. So, Fashion Is Your Business is going to hook you up. Easy Texting is offering a free trial to listeners of the Fashion Is Your Business podcast. Just text FASHION to 858-585. Again, that's FASHION to 858-585. Message and data rates may apply for this recurring message program. Simeon, you know, going back to a comment you made about uh, folks purchasing things that make themselves better, um, I'm going to relate it to my Peloton purchase, uh, my COVID Peloton purchase, which also came with a couple athleisure purchases uh, in tandem uh, that I purchased off of Instagram from new direct-to-consumer uh, brands. The whole thing is is wild to me. Come on, wild. share with us. What do you get? 
so, well, RVCA, which has been around for a bit, but I picked up, uh, you know, their shorts and then I picked up uh, one of them. I think it's called like Thousands or something like that. Uh, another, again, like kind of workout brand or whatever. So so I could feel like I'm healthy, but I'm not. Um, Product stretches and so do you. <laughs> No, now it's getting embarrassing because people are starting to follow me on Peloton. I've had it for three weeks and it's like four rides, right? Like five rides. But that's that's my time. <laughs> well, I will. But 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 speaking of Peloton, you recently raised your under, I guess, performing uh, rating uh, from like you know twenties to the thirties, and I, I think Peloton. The last time I saw it, and I you know I have a very nominal position in it, uh, but it's you know it's nearing a hundred, and I got it. I had it at twenty, you know, in in March or April. So uh, I'm wondering, like, why everyone I talk to is either has a Peloton now in my world, right? And of course, I live in this bubble of New York City where you need as much distraction as possible. And I also live in a bubble of, you know, a socioeconomical bubble now. So I'm also, uh, you know, I'm talking to people, they all have Pelotons, uh, they're buying the new Peloton Plus, they're, they're doing workouts on their Pelotons. And, you know, but, but for some reason, you just don't see that growth there. Where, where do you where do you see at home Peloton specifically, and then at home fitness? Uh, how is that working? So here's the beauty, right? We've been talking about companies this whole time. We haven't been talking about stocks. My title is I'm a senior equity analyst. I need to focus on stocks. I have had the Peloton for around two years. I am in that group of people that says it changed my life. That then prompt other people to throw up. Um, I use it multiple times a day. I, I'm, a, I'm highly engaged. It's one of my favorite products that I've mm-hmm. purchased. And I, I think that the company and the product is spectacular. Uh, I also use the app, which we should talk about. I'm curious if you do. And I think it creates phenomenal content. The issue, and, and I love how you frame the question. And, and let's also call a spade a spade here. I, the, the trajectory of the stock dictates that I am wrong thus far. So, so you were being polite. You were trying not, to not a little, not a three X wrong. So the little under three X, because your hundred dollars is now 80. If we're, if we're, if we're really digging. Well, it was like, it was 98, right? It actually <laughs> never really got to that hundred mark. So, so here's, here's the fascinating part, right? At the end of the day, everyone, and, and I know we're, we're not virtual, so I don't know if you can see this, but big air quotes, everyone has bought a Peloton. That's what I keep hearing. How many, if I told you that Netflix during COVID added 25 million members, mm-hmm. right? 25 million. So in the last six months from the beginning of COVID until now, how many members do you think Peloton added? Uh, look, we're, we're talking about a $10 subscription versus a $2,500 investment. 25 million for Netflix. So they did. So they added 380,000 members. At the end of the day, the everyone that we're talking about was 380,000. It's not a lot of people. So I think it's phenomenal. I think you described it. You're in a bubble. We're all in a bubble, right? Yep. May, may we always be in the bubble, right? We, we acknowledge that that's, that's a great place to be. Um, but the reality is there's a Venn diagram of bubbles. There's, you mentioned socioeconomic, there's geographic, there's the desire to work out, right? There's a whole host of people that make this market cap, this, this market size constrained in my view. And ultimately what I would have thought was I thought, would have thought this is a very focused business that has a constrained audience size with limitless pricing, right? It's the Costco for, uh, for, for whatever. And we just keep seeing prices go up. But what we're, in reality, what we're seeing is we're seeing prices perpetually dropped, we're seeing them continue. And what the reason is to democratize fitness. That's the line. So the idea, and it's not a line, it's a, it's a, they believe it. It, it, it's real. So the idea here is let's bring it lower. Let's lower the price as low as we can to make the most people able to use the bike. So two important things there, Planet Fitness, right? Different business. They, tw- 10 or $22 a month, depending on which way you want to do it, 15 million members. Those 15 million members paying $20 a month, 10 to $20 a month, get a market cap of around $5 billion. Peloton, at a million members, they have a total of a million, they just added that 380,000, total of a million members, as a, at your $100 price point, was somewhere between 25 and $30 billion. At some point, we need to think, what are these companies worth? They can't always be worth more. So my point is, this is a phenomenal company, right? At the end of the day, if we think about that versus Planet Fitness, there's just such a massive dislocation and it's, and it's brand, it's perception. And one of the things, one of the reasons that I would argue it's pushing 
is because who's investing, right? Who's, who, are the, who are the institutional investors? They're people that use Peloton. They're often not people that go to Planet Fitness. Or, or Robin Hooders also, who knows, but um, which is a whole different story, right? So, so I think that that's important to think as we think about how big should it be, that's really important, recognizing that I love the product. It's been phenomenal for me. But, but I think what, what you touched on over there, which may not be uh, included in your analysis, is that there is a tremendous amount of room for collaboration with fitness studios, right? So, I mean, if the hardware is in the home, then the – and again, sure, it's, it, it's at a million right now. What they've done is not only have they made it cheaper, um, but they've also you know done the whole zero financing. They, they made it very, very easy to, to have one in the home, right, to, to purchase. But if they if they're able to now say grow or sustain this growth for the next year, which I, I think that that's where the valuation is really marked on. Where do you think this is going to be a year from now, not today? Ten, um, ten years, ten years, ten years from now. So they they keep so they keep growing pace. Then the, the amount of collaboration across physical spaces, which I think that the bet is really on. Where do you see? physical gyms being and where do you see that that intersection between your home and the gym life kind of living in five or ten years from now so here's the beauty of this first of all i totally agree and i think that at-home fitness will complement gym memberships not substitute gym memberships so i think that at the end of the day there is still this desire the reason that fitness studios existed or people like the camaraderie people viewed fitness became going out for drinks during the day right fitness became people's day drinking you go, you find friends, you establish community. I mean, what Lululemon. <laughs> that's a great quote, by the way. Lululemon, true. right? Like, yeah. that's what it is. I mean, Lululemon, think about it. It's Nike and Under Armour injected function into fashion. They, they decades ago came out and said, gym shorts, don't do anything special. We're going to make them do something special. We're going to take apparel and inject function. Lululemon came out and reverse engineered that. They took function and inje- injected fashion. Why do you need fashion? for working out. Well, if all of a sudden it's viewed as a hangout, if all of a sudden it's viewed as a communal aspect, then you need to have, you You better have multiple pairs of leggings and you can't be wearing the same outfit every day. But hasn't it always been with like the New York Racquet Club, starting with that from, that's the oldest one I remember, uh, where it's it really felt like more of a social club. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you, you, didn't, you didn't do anything separate, right? All of a sudden now we've injected yeah. fashion. So it's, it's creating your own identity and it's opening it up to more people. But by the way, how many members do you think New York Racquet Club had? I, I don't know the answer to this. So, so here's my point. You had the pandemic. You had the most optimal time for Peloton to exist, right? To, to grab mar- uh, market and mind share. And by the way, the competitive landscape wasn't all that large, right? Mirror was still solo. You had all the other, all the other brands, Echelon. No one knew Bowflex. No one thought about them, right? I mean, SoulCycle's got their own brand, no? They did it. So they did it. So they introduced their Varus bike. So now, if during the heart of when everyone was forced to stay at home, the, the paradigmatic time to be converted to this product, you got 380,000 people, that gives you a look at how big the market should be, in my view. So I would have thought this number would have been much higher. And I think most bullish investors, the reason the stock has come down from the earnings, because it touched that barely touched $100 for a second, and it's been coming down since. I think it's because of exactly this point. I think that ultimately that number, you would have thought now that number would have been larger. Because what happens as we go further out? Well, everyone that already bought a bike doesn't have to buy another one unless you're upgrading for the swivel screen. But more importantly than that... I missed it by two weeks. I'm pissed. (laughs) So, you know, I'll buy you a separate screen. <laughs> that's what that's literally what my brother said. Turn turn your turn your laptop around. So, but at the end of the day, you now do have Lulu owning Mirror. And I don't know that that's going to become yeah. some huge business, but you do know that Lulu is going to supercharge that marketing. You do have Nautilus, which owns again with all their yeah. the other categories coming out here and saying, by the way, Bowflex and Nordic Track and Echelon and what was so interesting to me through this process, Peloton is the most vocal, it's the most it's the loudest. And it's the only way to publicly play to invest in this theme. But go try to buy a pair of five-pound weights. They're all sold out too. Anything having to do with fitness is sold out. People just don't see it. So I think that ultimately that's going to be important in terms of framing how big the company should be. Not not should it be a good company? How big should it be? And listen, we talk, think about Netflix. The big data, big tech, 
these companies, the companies that really gained a ton of, of, of subscribers, what do they play off of? They play into humanity's laziness. That's a good thing to play into. At the end of the day, I can tell you the gym memberships from January until the second week of February skyrocket, and then they fall off. A year from now, how many people that just bought the Peloton bike are not going to cancel? We don't know yet, but I can guarantee you fitness and convincing people to work out every day is a hard proposition. There's a reason that classic gym churn is 30%. Well, it's also going to depend on what the message is too in this particular case. And this could go for anything, not just fitness. If part of the argument is we don't know when you're going to be able to feel comfortable in a gym again. So you don't have to give up anything. You can do this and be able to do a good workout at home. So you don't have to go to the gym. If that's the underlying subtext, it may affect people's willingness to go back to the gym because they've decided in their mind, I'm not going back. It's That's for the people that are not gym, uh, gym rats, you know? So let's talk about that because I think it's really yeah. fascinating. And Mark, I don't know if you have it, but Pavan, do you use the app? Yeah, I do. Yeah. No, I yeah, look at good. look at me. I obviously do not. Come on, this we don't. That that's the whole beauty of this. This is about feeling good. That's that's the. Yeah, I know. I am just kidding. You know, I don't. So at the end of the day, so so the yoga, the strength training. I mean, they have mm-hmm. a phenomenal. Very I keep good. saying phenomenal, but it's such an amazing library of content that, by the way, you can get for thirteen bucks a month. Yep. You don't need to buy the bike, and you don't need to pay forty dollars a month. You can get. It's the only, right? Because we're thinking about this from fashion. This is a really interesting perspective. It's the only product, it's the only brand that I can think of in the world where the halo, where the runway line, the luxury line has the same content as the diffusion line. It, the LeBron shoe sold in T, at TJX. So at the end of the day, and, they, and they, they operate that business to break even, they operate that business as an acquisition vehicle. Yeah. At the end of the day, I love that product, right? It's the only it's the only category where the the super users are also your diffusion users. I wonder to me that that's a cap on pricing. Why why don't we see more partnerships for them with let's uh, I don't know where if you buy this piece of apparel, this piece of athletic apparel that's a higher uh, priced uh, item uh, that includes for you uh, six months with Peloton, which is a huge acquisition opportunity to, for for uh, uh, you know for Peloton. So I'll say I don't recommend the stock, but I recommend the bikes, and I get a ton of referral credits for it. So I get, I have actually discovered, and, I, and that was that was something a little bit of it was true, but that was meant as a joke. So tough audience yeah. here, but um, <laughs> we're laughing we're, on the inside. Oh, you didn't realize you're only, you're only talking to uh, ten people that listen to the show. <laughs> At the end of the day, I've actually discovered some high-end brands that I never would have, some high-end digitally native brands that I never would have because of their collaborations yeah. and they use them as these referral. Yeah, uh, and benefit. music collaborations too. Yeah, so, so I think they've actually been really good at A, collaborating and B, deciding who to collaborate with. I think it's it's been true, authentic, and it's been good for, for it represents who they are. So I, I actually think they do a good job with that. Um, I think part of this question though, listen, the big... Not Peloton specific, but it's relevant for them. The biggest irony I have felt whenever I talk to influencers, whenever I talk to disruptors, there's this perception of I'm not just a fashion company, I'm a media company. And then I say, what valuation multiples do media companies trade at? Do we really, right? Like all of us, (laughs) is that that the aspiration? I mean, look, I, you know, I want to go back to your Lululemon thing. So they purchased Mirror. Um, you know, you have the combination between they're investing obviously largely in at-home fitness. And then uh, beyond that, uh, you know, the uncertainty on how virtual kind of uh, office is going to, you know, uh, play a role in our day-to-day uh, business world going forward. I mean, it has all the signs to just go through the roof, but it's actually been slumping a bit. What's going on with Lulu? Yes, I think that Lou, so so my team. This is this is this is going to answer your other question, um, so we can side. But I think my team and I have done a tremendous amount of work that we stumbled upon that we call the brand peak. I don't remember what the hypothesis was. It doesn't matter. But we found that at the alt, at the highest level, there are certain recurring brand peaks where revenues peak out. 
for consumer brands. Said another way, ubiquity is not cool. Uniformity is not cool. You hit consumer saturation points. What was I, that, that might make sense in, in theory. What was so interesting from a practical perspective was that it didn't matter if you sold only to men, only to women, if you were whatever socioeconomic, if you were fashion, if you were basic, it's always the same level. If you're a DTC-only business, stores and e-com, if you only use your channel, in North America, you peak at $3 billion. If you complement with wholesale, if you outsource your sales force to a department store or to any wholesale business, you get five to $6 billion. But what happens inevitably are humans are not hot-wired to acknowledge they've peaked, right? Say that one again. Humans are not hot-wired to acknowledge they've peaked. The world would be a sadder place if it was. So what happens is, you reach that uh, you reach that ceiling and you start stretching you find another audience you you bedazzle your jeans you create another diffusion line you start selling jewelry when you have no idea how to sell jewelry and what you find is the core audience that allowed you to get to 3 or 5 billion dollars has no desire to allow you to go further and if anything that's where you become detrimental that's where you start the incremental sale starts hurting your brand equity so what was so interesting, and, and by the way, that goes all the way down. So I'm giving you at the peak, but you can learn a lot about a company where they cluster. I hope Supreme has passed their peak because I thought that shit was years ago. But here Who knows? Well, I don't know. Do they sell product or do they just, uh, do they just market it? I, mean, I don't know. Fucking bricks and Oreos and all kinds of garbage nonsense. I thought you were going to send me some of those Oreos. That was the deal. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I ate them. I didn't give a shit about them too much. <laughs> Out of spite. <laughs> um, so, yeah, wouldn't that be a cool collaboration with the bike? So, anyway, the reason I bring it up, <laughs> eat, eat your Oreo as you ride. You hit a level where you go from being cool to right. being mass. Gap, at some point, was cool. Under Armour sure. was cool. Victoria's Secret was cool. Lulu's getting close to that level, right, or, or on a number, on a purely numerical basis. Yeah, absolutely. And if you ask the edgiest and the most fashion-y, they will say they find their way to all these new startup yoga brands. So there's a question there of figuring out, A, based on our work, it seems like we're about to hit a, a, a cross. It, you're going you're to butt heads between revenue opportunity and margin opportunity. We've done a lot of work there. They're, they're both peak sales and peak revs. So that's one. But two, and this goes back to the gym conversation, I think it's worth asking in a world where you're working out at home more so than you're going to day drink at, at a bar studio. By the way, that, that worked really well. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> so so you're, you're doing that. At the end of the day, do you need as many versions? You might, Lulu might be at your entire outfit, but do you need 18 different colors so that, God forbid, your, your workout friends don't see you wearing the same outfit? So I think that ultimately, and, and by the way, you, again, market caps, this company has skyrocketed. It has been a huge beneficiary. Yeah. And this used to be one of our favorite companies from a stock perspective. So I, I would say, I think product, amazing. Brand resonance couldn't be better, but there comes a point where you're no longer the underdog. Lulu is so far from being the underdog, and yet the stock has just gone through the roof. Well, see, it's interesting. You talk about that stretch, that moment when you you go. Be, that's the moment circling back to an earlier thing we were talking about, I think, where you get away from uh, serving those th that core audience and people feel like this isn't for me anymore. You're not in it for me anymore. You're in it for you. And there's pushback on that. It's like McDonald's offering you know, what, whatever seems like McTacos or something. And you're just like, oh, you're just trying to get another dollar out of me rather than giving me why I come here. So I've been negative on Under Armour for a long time. And it's because it's been because, right, put very simply, Under Armour became the sweatshirt people wear to Disney World. It became the Gap sweatshirt. And that's not what it was supposed to be. And that's the thing, right? You, you look for a real life, tangible sign that you've overstretched. If you are the sweatshirt at Disney, you have jumped the shark. But I actually upgraded the stock at the beginning of the pandemic because of exactly this idea. It was all of a sudden they could be allowed to reset. They could be allowed to find and, and recreate the story of what are you doing for me, Under Armour? You, you are committed to making me run faster, jump higher, et cetera. Well, I don't see that if I'm looking at a log flume in Disney World. So recreate that story, bring back, don't sell sweat, don't sell sweatpants for 20 bucks, sell them for 30 dollars. 
You get an AUR up 50%. Your price goes up 50%. Your margin's through the roof. What's going to happen? You're going to sell a lot fewer units. Is that a bad thing? Maybe not. That's what I think is, is so fascinating. How, how much of your uh, personal training uh, needs to kind of hone in on your skills of being a pessimist, uh, one, and questioning everything, and then two, is uh, how much of it is, is really just being a born observer? When you say training, you're referring to my gym workout regimen, right? Both. Well, no, your regimen seems pretty aggressive. In fact, it seems uh, <laughs> seems just the opposite. Um, I I like to think I'm an optimistic person that likes to ask a lot of questions. Yeah. So, if you were to say to me, distill your job, I think my job. I don't think humans are capable of telling facts. Humans tell stories. So, I think it's my job to take a story, distill it down to the facts. More often than not, that's numbers, because unless it's fraud, numbers don't lie. So take a story, bring it down to the numbers, but then recreate the facts, recreate the story based on the numbers. That's what I love about this job. That's what I love to do, because at the end of the day, it's kind of like the matrix. It's like you see the, the numbers moving through and you, you're telling a story based on that. Numbers don't lie. Humans embellish. So my story, I, I don't, it, it's less trying to be negative or trying to be cynical it's more trying to understand what actually happened. Peloton is phenomenal. Everyone is buying it, everyone in big air quotes. But if that everyone translates to 380,000 people or 450,000 people, then ultimately that'll grow, but it'll grow into the low millions, not into the 15 to 20 to 30 millions. That's what, what, what I'm trained to do. That's what I have to figure out. And ultimately, that's the benefit we talked about earlier. Maybe I shouldn't say earlier, depending on the order, but we talked about what it's easier to do this from the outside, right? But by the same time, we get to throw darts. This is one of the benefits of being on the outside because at the end of the day, you cannot see your limitations when you're involved. At the end, and that's, yeah. and that's humanity. Yeah. So as a storyteller slash analyst, uh, <laughs> or maybe you're an analyst, maybe you're an analyst slash storyteller. Once upon can, a time, a, a stock started that's right. at five. That's right. Um, you know, you're, you you know, you, you're on fashion as your business. You're on CNBC. You're here. You're there. You're many, <laughs> did you, many wait, hold on. did you casually just bucket us with CNBC? I did. Cause then I can I pull like that. that. That's I really can, that's I can strong. Pull that as a, as a quote. And then, you know. <laughs> So, then we say, yeah, it has to mention mentions alongside such such networks as CNBC. Uh, the nature of my job, and for better or worse, the nature of my personality is: if there's something I want to say, it probably gets said, and okay, I don't. Uh, and and I and I recognize that's not always a a great thing. Uh, but <laughs> but I think the most the story that so so. I am privileged to have a platform where I can watch and, tr and, and I can watch the evolution of retail and I get to opine from a position again of hopefully objectivity. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm doing my job, I try to remain intellectually honest and not revert back to my biases. Some of my favorite products are my least favorite stocks. Some of my least favorite products are my favorite stocks because ultimately this isn't about me. I try not to anecdotalize. But the stories I like talking about are the ones that can help, that can take the lessons of the past and, and break out from that circular loop of retail insanity. And I recognize that, that those change, right? They, they constantly change. If they didn't change, we wouldn't have this conversation in the first place. That conversation today is this idea that it's very hard to acknowledge that you've extended beyond peak. Focus on health. Don't focus on growth. Use this opportunity because if you don't, you will probably survive and you may even sort of thrive, but you're just going to be back on that down rolling hill that, that has been retail over the last 10 years, right? Ecom was not your friend. We all know that now. But the reality is this is a unique opportunity. That's the story I want to communicate because I, I want people to see that reducing promotions can help a lot, right? The dollar, every incremental dollar you sell hurts the, the next dollar you want to sell. And, and that's a very easy thing to say. It's a very easy thing to theorize. It's no brilliant concept, but it's hard to do. Now is the time to do it. Yeah, you saw that a lot, especially in March, April, right away. That discounting slide was so severe. I mean, 
it, it was it was shocking in fact and it almost it, it almost felt like snake oil salespeople type of thing you know like you're selling to folks that don't realize they have no money yet yeah think about right yeah exactly that's the scary part right and and without you didn't tell me this was a political show but uh the, the reality where where we go financially i think is going to be important uh, you're on cnbc you're you're always on a political show there it is. There it is. Um, so, but but I think that the fear and and the expectation. I think the fear of the companies and the expectation of the consumers was the pandemic was going to be two thousand eight all over again, and two thousand eight triggered five years of promotional warfare, and it triggered a consumers in charge. The the retailers and brands need to toe the line, and I think that whether it was because of luck. When your store is closed, you will not order. You, you're not going to make the mistake of ordering more inventory or whether it was because of foresight to not order inventory. The fact that there's not a huge pile of growing excess product, I believe, will help the, the, the chances for retail in a way that they, they could have been decimated. Five more years of promotional warfare would have been the end of a lot of companies. I guess uh, on that note, since we're talking about emotional warfare, uh, <laughs> let's go to some personal questions, shall we? On, on that high note. <laughs> <laughs> uh, coming up right after this, you'll hear a round of off-the-grid questions where we get to the human side of Simeon right after this. Hey, everybody. Parsons Executive Education is pleased to invite all Mouth Media listeners to the luxury redefined virtual event on September 30th, 2020. In this virtual luxury redefined event, industry experts join the Parsons faculty to explore bold new ideas that connect luxury to current economic, consumer behavior, and societal needs. This half-day virtual event includes a keynote, masterclasses, and panel discussions designed to challenge this conventional notion of luxury and fuel new parameters to define luxury. For a limited time, Parsons Executive Education is extending all Mouth Media listeners a special discount by using the code MOUTHMEDIA underscore Parsons at checkout. That's M-O-U-T-H-M-E-D-I-A underscore Parsons at checkout. For more information or to register, please visit execed.newschool.edu forward slash collections forward slash luxury dash re dash defined. Alright, Simeon, this is the part of the show called Off the Grid Questions, where we ask questions, frankly, a little off the grid, a little more personal in nature. Uh, we spin the great big wheel of grid destiny to uh, determine the order of questions, even with just Pavan and I to choose from. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna reach up as, and- as opposed as opposed to a coin flip. I, I, I like that we started with a whole wheel. I know. Well, it, it, it made much more sense with three hosts, but uh, right now, with while we sit with two at the moment, uh, wheels add will, more uh, suspense. It, it does. is. It does. Watch this. Watch how much suspense this is Who right now. Love the price is right. No All right, and the first question today is going to come from Pubbin. Hey. All right. So. Uh, Okay, so let me let me let me preface the question with uh, it is not meant to hurt your feelings, Simeon. This is not an observation of who you are today. I'm just curious, based on a comment you meant uh, you, you referred to earlier, which not was like my outfit? that all is that what's going I on? I cannot. Here? I cannot wait for this. I cannot wait. <laughs> well, you, you talked about having you know business have a natural peak, and so do humans, and we we have a tendency to uh, not recognize that. Uh, so I'm curious. Are you going to ask him if, if, he, if he's peaked? <laughs> Last Tuesday was my peak. About if you were to choose a time that is not now as your natural peak in life, however, just let's assume that you have wow. passed it. When would it have been and why do you consider that your peak? Yeah, um, I actually lassoed a horse 
in uh, in seventh grade. <laughs> so you peaked in seventh grade. Okay. I, there was a. I don't. Again, I, I tend to forget my hypotheses or why I end up places, but sat there, caught it, and then quickly handed the lasso to someone else and let them take or let the horse then run off. So that's probably into the sunset. So as the horse rode off into the sunset with the, the lasso around its neck and the other person who happened to be my father holding on really dry. tightly for dear life, uh, that's probably my peak. <laughs> All right, well, <laughs> you're just like, you're not, standing there just going, I'm good, peak. I'm good, what's I, next? I don't know if it was the last song of a horse when you're in seventh grade or the sunset, uh, which I'm more uh, curious about, but I'm going to distill this story down to facts. Uh, where, uh, where, 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 and where and why did this uh, situation occur? I, I don't remember. <laughs> so, oh, so actually, you know what? This is so good. So I did not even think about this. There is actually a connection to what we're doing right now. I'm not going to say who, but if you ask me a normal question of why did you get into retail, this wouldn't have been the story, but it could have been. We were friends with a retail executive of a then very big brand who happened to lose his horse or it went wild or something. And for various reasons, they said, why don't you come and try to throw a rope around it? For various reasons, right? We talk about toe dipping. Apparently, I was more adventurous then. I said, sure, why not? Seems like a logical thing to try. And uh, with, with, with the miracle of, of all that is bad in the world, I managed to do it. And then very quickly freaked out and threw the rope. <laughs> but but <laughs> it was a horse owned by a retail executive. And from that day on, I knew that what I had to do... <laughs> was analyze the businesses of people that could give a wild horse to a however old kid I was at the time. And be a-okay with it. (laughs) Very good. Very good. Very, very good. All right. I see no reason to go on, but just for giggles, I'm going to spin the wheel. Uh, That was just too good of a story. And of course it comes to me. By the way, I have not thought of that story in, in since it happened. So thank you. Well, I'm 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 still uh, not convinced whether it happened or not, but I, I do appreciate the story altogether. So. Oh, it it absolutely happened. It one thousand percent. I'd like to point out by by way of demonstration, it, it does appear that this particular round of off the grid questions has peaked. But I'm still I'm still I'm still gonna spin the wheel, and it comes to me. So my question is. Um, what is the earliest moment in your life, Simeon, that you can recall making an investment choice? And it can be in any aspect of life, you know, uh, buying the right sneakers to impress this girl that maybe upped your, so that would up your cue in the school popularity would be an investment. So what what can you think of other than giving your father... I was about to say, I'm pretty sure the, the strongest investment f- choice I made was not holding on to that horse. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Aside from example number one, uh, what can you think of the, at any point in your life, but the earliest you recall that you made some investment decision? Yeah, I'm sure if I, this is actually a really good question. Um, not that, Pav, not that yours wasn't amazing. Oh. We ask great questions here, Sam. Yeah. So, no, but it's actually a, it's, it's one that. There's a reason why just as many people that listen to CNBC also listen to us. Love it. Um, so it's a question that I, if I had more time, I would probably come up with a much better answer. So off the top of my head, actual investments, which is the less interesting story, but something that, that was really interesting. I always wanted to learn how to invest. To, I, I felt like I should learn how to invest in options, which I don't know how to do. Um and this was, this was a while ago. So I actually bought some options for Apple stock way back, like close to 07, 08, um, which would have been fantastic. What I learned with options was if you don't do anything, they expire worthless. So sadly, my retirement income fund, because I thought oh, no. to buy Apple, is zero from that. Um, so so that was a, a, an investment. That was a learning lesson. Um, I, I can... Uh, I don't know. I have to think about it. It's a really, it's a good question because it's type of question. It's, it's not a stock investment. I mean, they're going to be a lot more interesting other ones, but I don't know. I've never thought about it. Looks like you need to add some triggers to that. Do some straddling, some puts, some buys, whatever the hell you want to do. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. Well, and, uh, you know, other than uh, keeping an eye out for you on your CNBCs of the world and so forth, how, how can people connect with you or the things that you're doing? Okay. Um, I'm fairly accessible. Uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach me at Simeon Siegel. Uh, that's so you've got that information and generally try to be responsive. And I'm sure my, my email and phone number, given how many random calls I get are accessible enough. So they might be on the dark web. Um, so feel free to reach out. I will try to reply if I can, um, if I, if I, if, I, if, I, if, if it makes it to me. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, uh, what a what a fun and great conversation with Simeon Siegel, the managing director of senior retail and e-commerce analyst at BMO Capital Markets. Uh, thank you so much, man. It was really uh, great to spend some time with you and hear some just really dynamite perspectives, really putting some things uh in a different way, telling telling some great stories. Great to be here, guys. And you've got me thinking about when I've peaked. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I do, well, I do. I do want to give a quick shout out to Virginia, who had uh, put us in touch uh, originally, Virginia Wong, because uh, you know I appreciate that. All right, that's it for this great episode. Thank you so much. I mean, really great to see you. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. We really appreciate it as always, and we'll see you again next week for another brand new episode. Until then, for Pub and Ball. All right, shake it easy, guys. I'm Mark Rako. Have a great day, everybody. Bye bye. This has been Fashion Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2020. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.